Good morning, everyone. It is great to see everyone here. Glad everyone was able to make it out despite the weather. I know that as I look out the window and I see, you know, the beautiful snow on the ground, it reminds me of that passage in the Psalms where our, our sins are washed white as snow. And so that's a beautiful blessing to be reminded of. And it's also a, a great physical blessing because it makes the world, uh, you know, it's so pretty when it lays on the ground. But anyway, <coughs> we're continuing our study in the Gospel according to Mark. And as per usual, when we look at, uh, you know, this, this study, we want to look at our foundational verses first and notice those and look at how this is going to apply as we move forward. So our first foundational passage is Hebrews chapter 2 at verse 9. Hebrews chapter 2 at verse 9. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. This passage is so important, I think, to understanding the life of Jesus, not just as it appears in the Gospel according to Mark, but just in general. This is so important to understanding the life of Jesus in general. It says, We see Jesus, who for a little while was made lower than the angels, who took on the form of a man and walked the face of this earth. We see Him being humbled in that. And then it says we see Him crowned in glory and honor, His exaltation. And throughout the life and studying through Jesus, we will see, uh, you know, we'll see that, that those points of humility and we will see that point of exaltation at the end. And then we look at John chapter 21 at verse 25. <coughs> And the reason we look at this passage is because Mark records over 20 miracle stories. And whether he healed someone or uh, fed people or, you know, just so many miracles. And these miracles were designed to prove that he is who he said he was, that being the Son of God. But we don't have every detail of every miracle that he performed nor do we have a record of every miracle that he performed. Because John 21 and 25 says, Now there are also many other things that Jesus did, were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. So there was just so much to be written that it would be impossible for the world to contain it if it were to be written. But we have enough here. God tells us through Peter that we have enough in Scripture to live a godly life and follow after the example of our Lord and Savior. And so <clears throat> I think that's uh, some important foundational things that we note. And as we look at the Gospel according to Mark, we see just how active Jesus is. The key verse that most scholars agree on is uh, Mark chapter 10 at verse 45 where he says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And so he was living the life of a servant while on this earth. And I think that idea of being a servant really plays into what we're studying in today. So here we are in Mark chapter 1. We're going to focus on Jesus' baptism. 
and some implications and applications that we can get from that in Jesus' baptism. So this is three short verses, and again, I would keep, I would uh, ask you to keep John 21:25 in mind in this, because there's just so much to be said about the baptism of Jesus. But Mark is still in that preparation stage; he's still preparing us for what is, uh, you know, coming after this when Jesus begins uh, his main ministry. And I didn't mention this last time at the beginning of our study. But if you want a one-word summary of this chapter, it would be glory. And I say that because in all of these things that we read here in this first chapter, we see Jesus being glorified for who He is. And we see this glorification process. And then that is preparing us for what's going to happen in chapter 2. And we will cross that bridge when we get there. And I also mentioned that the key word that, Mark's loved, that Mark loves to use in his gospel is the word immediately because that's how fast-paced things are. And we're going to see our first use of that word in our study this morning. And I would want you to note that there are at least nine other times where Mark uses this word immediately in, in speaking about Jesus. So with that introductory material being said and that foundation being laid, Let's read Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. It says, In those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. So just three short verses this morning, but we have a lot to talk about here. As concerning baptism, concerning why Jesus is being baptized here, and concerning uh, you know, the idea of the voice from heaven and the dove, we have a lot of things to consider here in these three short verses. <coughs> so again, let's, let's put this in some context. John the Baptist prepares the way for Jesus, and he comes with this baptism for repentance and remission of sins, that sins can now be washed away because of John's baptism. And last time when we studied, we established that the only thing separating John's baptism and the baptism of Jesus was a cross. Because at the cross is when the penalty for sin was taken care of. So John's baptism was before the cross, but yet it served the same purpose. It was a, a leading to of what was to come. And Jesus' baptism after the cross, and I mean, you know, the baptism that uh, Jesus commands in the Great Commission that comes after the cross is that in which the penalty for sin has been paid. <coughs> so... We see John's baptism uh, washing away sin. And I think we have a very important question here that some other religions, and I'm not talking about denominational groups among Christian, Christianity, I'm talking about other major world religions that, uh, you know, particularly the Muslims, they believe Jesus was just a prophet, but he was not, uh, you know, the Son of God. And I... The, there's some specifics there, but Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons don't believe that Jesus was the Son of God either. 
Uh, I'd, I'd have to look up their reasoning, but uh, they don't believe that either. But anyway, we ask this question. Did Jesus have sin in his life in order that he needed to be baptized? And I want to point your attention to Matthew chapter 3, because in Matthew's account, <coughs> we see a, a, more amount of, a, a more amount of dialogue uh, in this. And the reason I want to look at this is because, remember, Mark is just moving so fast. He's saying, hey, Jesus was baptized, uh, you know, the Father confirms him, and now let's move on to the next event. Mark is writing at a very fast pace. So we look at Matthew, and Matthew gives a uh, a little bit more of a dialogue. So Matthew chapter 3, beginning at verse 13, he says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well, well pleased. <clears throat> so I want you to notice again, we pointed out, Last time in our study that John the Baptist had a great deal of humility towards someone uh, of the nature of Jesus, even though Jesus was, physically speaking, his cousin. But this, the amount of humility that John the Baptist had was that, uh, that he was not even worthy to untie his sandal and to unstrap it, as most servants would be. But here he's saying, well, I need to be baptized by you. I'm the one with sin in my life. He knew who his cousin was. I'm the one that's committed sin. I'm the one that's not perfect. I need to be baptized by you. But notice Jesus' reply in verse 15. Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. So what's Jesus saying here in a nutshell? Well, we've got to do it because God said so. God is, has commanded us that baptism is now important. And Jesus, being the great example that he is, is going to be obedient to his Father in every single thing. I want you to note with me Philippians chapter 2. We, we are all pretty familiar with this passage, I, I think, but uh, Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 5, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form, he humbled himself, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus humbled himself and, and took on the form of man and being becoming the servant rather than that which is to be served. And his obedience was even to the point of death on the cruel cross. He was being obedient to his Father, 
fulfilling righteousness and being baptized. Jesus did not have any sin on his account that he needed washed away. And Jesus was not the one that needed to be doing the baptizing. Jesus was being obedient in all things and living by an example and providing us with that example. <coughs> so John baptizes him, and immediately, just right after he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And the voice of heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. I want you to notice this is a, a very rare occasion. This is a way in which Jesus is glorified in a very unique way. We see all three persons of the Godhead present for this event. We see Jesus, the Son of God, as He's called in verse 1. We see the, the Holy Spirit as if He were a dove in verse 10. And we see God the Father as the voice from heaven, You are my Son. With you I am well pleased. That's very rare to see all three members together. It's, you, you will not see very many passages like this. So I think that's important to note. And then Jesus being glorified in baptism. Verse 11, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. How is Jesus glorified in baptism? Because the Father confirms who He is. The voice from heaven confirms who He is. As if verse 1 was not enough. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Right here, God confirms it. And it's because Jesus is fulfilling this righteousness, because Jesus is, is preparing to you know, take on the sin of this world, and He's going to be obedient to the point of death on the cross. Jesus' entire life, entire life, shows humility leading to an exaltation. If we look back at our passage in Philippians chapter 2, when we read verses 5 through 8, we see His humility and we see His obedience. But verses 9 through 11, Therefore God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Let every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus' humility and His obedience led to an exaltation of, the, of Him at the right hand of the Father and that His name would be above every name and that every knee will eventually bow at His name whether willingly or in the judgment day. And it says, every tongue will confess it and God will be glorified because of it. His humility and obedience 
led to an exaltation. And then this ties back into verse 5, let this mind be, uh, be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. We, have, we should have the same attitude, if you really think about it. Jesus, a humble servant, he calls us to be like him, become humble servants. And he has promised us an exaltation. Not an exaltation like his, but we will be in glory. We will see the glory of God face to face in heaven. But we must first become the humble servant. And Jesus here being, again, that perfect example that he is. And I think this is one of the most important passages that proves to us who Jesus is. Because God the Father Himself said, This is my Son. And it's the Son of God that is willing to submit to this obedience and to show this kind of faith. And of course, Jesus knew what he, His life was leading to. He knew uh, about the cross, and He knew about God's plan. And He willingly carried out God's plan. Willingly. So, these three short verses are very important in our study. And it's going to lead to more uh, you know, glorification in the rest of chapter 1. And it's going to be one of the greatest proofs of, he is, of, of who Jesus is. <clears throat> so I want to focus on a, a few words here uh, that, you know, that we can look at. I want to focus on the word son first. Or, or rather that phrase, you are my beloved son, and with you I am well pleased. There are some uh, scripture references that I think we want to look at uh, and as it relates to that phrase. So turn all the way back to Psalm chapter 2. Psalm chapter 2. <clears throat> and, well, the second psalm, rather. if you <coughs> Psalm 2 at verse 7. I will tell of the degree, decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. In my Bible, and I'm sure it's the case in your Bible, the word Lord is in all caps, meaning the fullness of God is saying this. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. And we see that in Jesus. You are my son with whom I am well pleased. And then we look at Isaiah chapter 42. So turn over a few pages to Isaiah 42 at verse 1. And I think Isaiah 42 at verse 1 kind of sums up the three verses that we've looked at as a whole. Uh, Isaiah chapter 42 at verse 1, it says, Behold my servant... 
whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. And of course, he's bringing forth godly justice and not the kind of justice that the Jews would be thinking about uh, in the reading of that passage. But we see in this passage something that should flow toward us. The idea of humble obedience and being exalted. Uh, We've talked about that in Philippians chapter 2, becoming the humble servant, leading to an exaltation. You've got some people in the religious world, and even those who are you know, not very religious, they will still say, well, what's the point of baptism? What's, you you know, I don't believe that one has to just dip in water and that's, uh, you know, uh, washing away my sins. It's just water. But remember, Jesus is our example. Uh, 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 1, Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And Philippians 2, 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Christ being an example for us. And Jesus was willing, was willing to submit to to baptism. Even though he didn't have any sins on his account that needed to be washed away, he said it is fitting to do it now because it is fulfilling righteousness. It is setting that good example, doing that which is right. And his exaltation, he at the right hand of God the Father, us seeing that glory in heaven. It's a a beautiful thing to think about. And it's amazing how something as simple as a baptism can make us think about that. When you think about you know, maybe you remember the day that you were baptized. Maybe you remember the songs that were sang in preparation while you were getting changed. And maybe you remember the the person that baptized you. And maybe you remember the love and the joy and the peace that was felt on that day. And it gave you a taste of what heaven's like. All the pain and sorrow just feels like it wasn't even there for a moment. I can remember, you know, the day that I was baptized. It was four years ago, Friday, January 18th, 2015. I remember my my granddad, you know, baptizing me at Twin Oaks Church. I remember uh, faintly some of the songs that were sang in preparation for that moment. And I remember I I was very happy that day. I was joyous that day. Because I I then had assurance that I was in Christ. I had assurance of my salvation. And I I began my uh, fight of faith. And I know all of you probably feel that way too. 
So if you haven't started your, your fight of faith, Jesus was willing to submit to the baptism of John. And as we looked at in John's preparation message last time, we see that John presented all five steps in the plan of salvation. You have to hear. And you know the people and the Jews, they had to hear about it before they could come and be baptized. And John would only baptize those who would believe because remember, he called a bunch of Jews the generation of vipers and hypocrites. That they were just being baptized because everybody else was doing it. Or at least they were wanting to be baptized. And they were repenting of their sins. They were confessing their sins, as, as the text says there in Mark chapter 1. And their sins were washed away in baptism. John prepared the gospel plan of salvation by preparing for Jesus. Jesus submitted to that baptism, will we not do the same? Must we not do the same? Submitting to baptism, becoming the humble servant, is the greatest choice that you will make in your life. But if you've already submitted to baptism and you've already you know, experienced your sins being washed away and you feel like you've fallen short, you feel like you've been a wounded soldier, there's still hope for you. I don't know how much time is left for you. I don't know how much time is left for me. But I do know this, that while the sun still rises and while it still sets, there's hope for you. And so we're about to sing a song of encouragement. And that's what it is. It's meant to encourage you uh, in, in, in obeying the gospel or coming back to the Lord. And so won't you please come as together we stand and sing.